Welcome to Real Estate Real World, where we talk to the movers, shakers, and leaders that are getting it done right now in the real estate industry and beyond. Your host is Marguerite Crispillo, and she started this podcast simply to talk to cool people about what's really happening in this crazy roller coaster ride of real estate. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and stay up to date on the newest stuff by adding yourself to the list at www.realestaterealworld.com. Dot com. Now your host, Marguerite Crispillo. Hey everybody, it's Marguerite Crispillo and welcome to another fabulous edition of Real Estate Real World where we get to talk to all the cool people that are getting things done in and around the uh, real estate world. So today I have a very special guest. She's probably one of the most important people in the world in my book. She's she's a, a gal who runs the team, right? Runs all the support stuff that keeps us crazy, wild, wacky salespeople in line and getting stuff done and bringing in the business. So today we have Christy Belt Grossman. She is the chief operating officer of the Belt team with Keller Williams Realty out there in McLean, Virginia. Is it McLean? McLean? How do you? McLean. McLean? I never get it right. Sorry about that. Just outside of Washington, D.C., where she leads the country's longest-running mastermind for executive assistance. We all need great assistance. The Belt team is one of Keller Williams Realty's top 150 teams and closed $68 million in 2015. That's not peanuts. A self-proclaimed geek at heart. We just had my own geek in here helping us out. Christy was interviewed on stage by Gary Keller at Keller Williams Mega Camp. Featured at KW Mega Tech, is a longtime blogger and was listed in Stefan Swanepoel's 2013 Technology Report as one of the top 100 individual clout scores in real estate. She's also a contributor for Inman News, has been a panelist at Inman Connect. I just got back from Inman and Inman on the Road. Her vast experience as COO, Chief Operations Officer, right? has fueled her passion for developing those writing shotgun and leadership positions in real estate. She consults with mega agents and executive assistants around the country. Favorite class to teach is her newest interactive workshop called Be a Boss. That's it. Ten secrets of a a mega executive assistant. When this wizard is not behind her screen, you'll probably find her running the Game Changer app as scorekeeper on the baseball field for future MLB draft draft picks. That's awesome. And we have a bunch of links to you, your information, your website, all that, that we'll be posting in the show notes for our listeners uh, at the end of the show here. So welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Truly honored to be here. I'm excited, excited to have you. So tell me a little bit about your background. It's my understanding, like, real estate runs in your blood. It's been in your family a while, right? So, yeah, I'm the typical person who grew up in the real estate world and swore she would never get into real estate, and here I am. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, my uh, mom was a superstar realtor on her own um, as a single agent for a long time. And I was in the mortgage business for about 10 years and um, loved what I did, but kind of was a workaholic. And uh, one night, my husband brought my girls in. I have two um, daughters. 
to have ice cream with me at 9 o'clock at night um, so they could actually see me that day before they went to bed. And I woke up the next day and I thought, this just isn't why I, you know, was meant to be here and I really want to spend time with my kids. So I actually um, went and searched out my mom and my brother had just joined her earlier that year from commercial real estate and said, hey, um, you had a bad experience with an assistant. Um, they had an assistant who used my mom's credit card to buy tires for her car. Nice. nice. <laughs> so um, how about if I join you for a year and we'll see how it goes. And um, if it doesn't work out, you can bail at the end of the year. And that was 20 years ago. So I guess oh, it wow. worked out. I guess it worked out. <laughs> wow. So uh, my big question, I think, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners struggle with this is, the big fear is always number one, how do you even find an assistant? And then how do you, uh, and this will probably be longer than, than I anticipated, but how do you keep that assistant from using your credit card and buying new tires? Like I tragically went through that twice. I had an assistant who was doing my billing and now I know that no one cares about your money as much as you do, so it's important that you look at it and you track it. But she was writing checks to one person in the QuickBooks program, but the actual physical check was being written to her to the tune of like $20,000. It was pretty devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think how you, to answer your second question is to answer the first question, which is to make sure that you're hiring right. I think that um, hiring is probably not the funnest process that we all like to go through. It's not an easy process. And so I think we skip over a lot of important steps in the process. And I, I kind of like to think of it, on my team we have people that have been with us for a fairly long time, which is pretty unusual, especially in the assistant world. Um, I facilitate and teach around the country, so I have a lot of groups coming in, and there's huge turnover in assistance. Totally. And I think it's because we're not hiring right. We're not taking the time up front. The typical personality of an entrepreneur wants to do things fast. Exactly. Right? Get through, get it done. Um, but I kind of think of it like, when you're getting married, you know, you can fall in love. And I actually was just talking to somebody yesterday who told me that she fell in love on graduation night of high school, and two months later she was married, and two years later she was divorced. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't surprise you, right? Because right. you fall in love, you move quickly. And I think that's what we do when we hire real estate assistants. We just fall in love with the person and we hire quickly instead of having a process in place. And if you have a process in place and you can follow the process, you're much more likely to develop a long-term relationship where you really understand each other, you know what each other's goals are, why you do what you do, what your personality profile is, all those things rolled into one that are going to mean that your relationship lasts for a longer time. So where my brain goes as soon as you say all that is, uh, I actually suck at that part. <laughs> so as an entrepreneur and as a salesperson, uh, I, that's why I need someone like you to come in and put that in place. So it's like a catch-22, it feels like. Yeah, it's chicken and egg. But I think if you, if you can force yourself to get through this first hire, then that person can help you with the rest of building up your team. They can help you with the systems and processes for that. But I think it's really important, you know, you have, if you're a single agent or a small team, you've built your business on your name and your reputation, right? And so sometimes it's a little scary to bring new people into that. But I think if you can really set out and set out, 
you know, make a list of what exactly do I want this person to do? So what's the job description? Because we all want assistants to do different things. I'm writing know? this down. Marketing? Let me get my pen. Is Hold it on. systems? Is it contract <laughs> Go ahead. You got your pen? I got my pen. I'm ready. So, write down a job description so you know exactly what they're going to do. Um, because the talents, say for example you need a marketing person or say you need a contract to close person, those two people might have different um, skill requirements, different behavioral profiles. So that's why you want to write down your job description first. Now you may want somebody that does all of them, but you need to decide what's the most important piece of that puzzle because that's what you're going to hire, hire to. And then I would say you want to write down a behavioral profile. So um, my team likes to use the DISC profile. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yep. Um, so you're going to define the job profile based on DISC. So if I need somebody who's going to be really interactive with my clients, I might, I might need someone who is an S, um, who's really patient, for example. Or say I'm hiring an accountant who's going to do all my um, we were just talking about paying our bills and all that stuff, I'm probably going to hire a high C. Um, if I want to hire somebody, if I'm building a big team, maybe I'm, I want to build to, you know, 20 people on my team and, you know, like my team, for example, has 10 people, um, my disc profile as an assistant may be a little bit different. So I'm a DC. I'm a little bit more of a driver, a get things done kind of person. So you want to have a job description and then you want to have a job profile, a behavioral profile, and then the last piece I think you really need is culture. So what's the culture of your team, whether you're an individual agent or you're growing into a bigger team? What does that mean? What are the things that are important to you? You know, is it integrity? Is it having fun? Is it customer service? You know, just kind of define those things. And then that's when you start looking for an assistant. I think what we often do is we start looking for an assistant before we really know what all those things mean to us. Yeah, because it just gets a bit overwhelming, right? Like I, I frequently talk about, as agents, we use the seagull approach, right? We like um, we've, we hire the first person that's breathing that walks past our office, and then we throw them at a desk, we fly over, we dump a bunch of crap on their desk, and we fly out. Exactly, and then we don't know why it's not all done. And we don't understand why it's not done. You know, one of the best learning lessons that ever happened to me, so I had an assistant for 14 years, and then she moved to Tennessee because dang men, you know, they fall in love. And So she moved to Tennessee, and uh, I remember her one day, I was like, I don't understand what the problem is. It only takes five minutes. It takes five minutes, and she so she walks out of the office. She comes back a few minutes later. She walks in. She sets the file on my desk. She goes and it and sets a timer next to it. She goes, "Okay, we're gonna time you. Ready?" <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And she goes, "We're gonna time you." And so I said, "I go, well, it only takes five minutes. This won't take long." And of course, it took me like thirty-five minutes to get it done. And she goes, "See, everything doesn't take five minutes." And it was like the best. Yeah, so it was a great learning lesson for me because I, in my mind, my entrepreneurial salesperson mind, everything takes five minutes. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if only. Yeah, exactly. So if you find this perfect person, okay, so first of all, what is your disc profile? You said it was. So a, I'm a DC. I'm like 99% D and then 64% C. I didn't even know that existed. 
I thought that's are are you a freak of nature you know it's interesting I I'm probably a freak of nature in terms of an, an assistant role but I'm I'm really more of in a leadership role on my team since I'm the chief operating officer and we have 10 people. I started as an assistant to just two agents with just the three of us, kind of before teams even existed. Right. And, I, and my job has evolved over, over time into something very different than it was in the beginning. So what would you so, say like somebody who's a transaction manager on your team or somebody who's helping get those systems in place, what would that profile look like? So it it still kind of depends. I'll give you two scenarios. So on my team, my transaction manager is a CS. She's extremely detail-oriented. Um, our systems are very detail-oriented, um, so she's a perfect fit for that. Now, some teams probably have a, an SC, um, where the person has a lot more interaction with clients and is in, maybe in person with clients, and they need that really calm, patient, um, personality. So I think both of those personalities work well for transaction coordinator. Okay. I could do transaction coordination, but my high D means that I'm bored with it and ready to move on very quickly. Okay, which is why you make a great COO. Right. Right. So, exactly. like, you can do the work, it's just not your best, that's not yeah, the best place think, for you to you be. Yeah, know, when you're hiring, you, as long as someone's intelligent and they share your values, they can probably do any role. You know, when I was in the mortgage business, I was a loan officer for a year, which is the same thing as being a realtor. It's a sales job. It's a commission job. And I made more money than many other years in my life, but I just hated it. Right. And I was great at it. People loved me, and I did a lot of business, but I just didn't enjoy it. So I think we can all do a lot of jobs if we're intelligent, but you want to find somebody who loves doing the things you don't do. Exactly. Um, and then they'll, they'll last longer. So so let's go back a little bit again to somewhat in the beginning. You said that in the beginning it was just you and two, you had two agents that you worked for. And right. so what did that scenario look like? And then how did you go to that next step? How did you guys go to that next step and get that next person? So, well, first of all, let me make the point. So. The two agents, you know, and me, the first step was them hiring me. I think a lot of agents make the mistake of thinking, oh, I have all this business, I have leads, so my first hire is going to be an agent. And I would say that it's, it's much more valuable to the agent to hire the admin first and then start adding agents to the team. Good point. Because there's no reason to really, you know, split your commission 50-50 or however you're going to split your commission for all these leads coming in when you can just hire somebody to do the lower hourly um, jobs. That's so, a very good point. You know, and, and leverage your time so that you can put more homes under contract, do more listings or do more buyers, whichever you're doing. So we did that, and then um, we got to the point where um, the agents wanted to have more quality of life, um, so we added another agent to the team um, so that they could share weekends and things like that, just kind of for, you know, quality of life and, you know, having more personal time. Um, and then we went through um, a change in our team where my brother bought my mom out about 10 or 12 years ago. And that's when we kind of conscientiously said, we want to put a team together, we want to follow some, you know, what are the successful models out there and how are we going to do this? And then that's how we've grown by adding agents. And then as we've added agents, we also added um, additional operations support. 
So, uh, do you have any kind of met metrics for when an agent should get an assistant? Like, I know for me, I was six months in the business and I got it. I got an assistant. I just didn't. I knew I couldn't do it all. And but what I see typically is it seems like once an agent hits about eighteen units or so, if they don't get help, they bounce back, and otherwise they can't seem to blow through that that number is that what you see or is that what you teach yeah i think well yeah when you hit a ceiling i mean when you start having sticky notes all over the place and your clients are calling and your clients aren't happy because things are falling through the cracks that's probably a sign that you may need an assistant um i would say to be very purposeful about it lay out your finances look at your p l do uh, put aside six months of salary um once you really don't even need six months of salary, but I'm conservative, so I would say six months. Three to six months of whatever you're gonna pay your assistant. Put that aside um, so that you have it. And then when you hire somebody, hire them with the expectation, and this is something that I teach in my mega EA class. There's a difference between hiring an average assistant and hiring someone that you think will be what I call a mega assistant. So a mega assistant, in my book, should generate three times their income in GCI to the team. So most people hire an assistant thinking, oh, well, as long as they you know, save me some time or make me a little bit of money, it'll be great. And I say, why not go after the talented person and hire someone who, through the implementation of systems, is gonna generate business for you. So not only are they paying for themselves, they're plusing your business on top of that. So that's what I would say in terms of when you hire somebody. That's being purposeful about hiring somebody versus just hiring somebody randomly. But that doesn't just mean, like I think maybe where someone would think is, oh, well, that, that means they have to go out and get leads for me. I don't no. know, that's, that's not what you're saying. No, so what I'm saying is we're wired for systems. We're wired for detail and logic. And there's a lot of what you do that is very entrepreneurial, but you're not systematic about it. You don't remember to do it every day. So I'll give you an example. So about four or five years ago, we started thinking, you know, online reviews are really important and we need to start, you know, get on that train. So every once in a while, the agents would say, oh, can you write us a review? Well, you know how that happens. And then you forget and then you go on to the next thing. So I said, well, let's just put a system in place. And I put a whole system with emails and phone calls and the agents didn't have to do anything. I reminded them or I did it for them. And we now generate about $350,000 a year in GCI and in income directly from our Zillow reviews. Wow. So that was something really small that didn't take me long at all to put in place that generated income. And that's my job, systems. So that system, it, depending on somebody's income, like, you know, that you clearly paid for yourself times. I paid for myself times. Right, multiple, multiple times. So, right. okay, so now I get it. So in the perfect world, the perfect person that you hire is going to help you get those systems in place that create the consistency of your business, which is what most of us are missing. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Just, yeah. And it can be all kinds of things. I mean, it can be client events. It can be, you know, a million things. Putting your database together that you've never had a chance to do or remembering to actually call them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's where the money is, the follow-up, right? We all know the fortune is in the follow-up. Yeah. So what was the next person that you guys hired? From You said you got a couple agents now. You're helping your agents. 
and your team is starting to grow, like at what point do you think that you're too busy and now you need to bring that next person in? So I'm trying to think. So it's going to be different in different markets because, so for example, in my market, I'm in Northern Virginia right outside of Washington, D.C., it's a market full of entrepreneurs and high D's CEOs. Um, it's a high dollar, more of a, it's not a luxury market, but it's a higher, you know, average sales price than many places around the country. So our units that we do is smaller than you may have teams listening who are in the Midwest that are doing, you know, 500 units a year or something like that. Um, so it's going to depend on that. For us, um, I kind of count 50 units per employee, per operations employee, as my um, target of when I need to hire. I actually can go higher than that, um, and my rule of thumb is that we need to be trending for three months at a higher production volume uh, before I hire that next person. So figure out how much your initial person can do, and then when you see your business growing, wait until three months have gone by that you've proven that you're at the new level of business for three months and that's when you should bring the next person in. Does that make sense? It, it completely does. And and I think that so many of us are hesitant to hire that first person at all, but then we're bombarding our second person to where, don't you think that's a big part of why there's high turnover? I'm not, I'm not following you. Well, it seems like a lot of, t uh, of, well, we'll go back to the beginning where I talked about the seagull approach. Agents are just dumping, 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 and this person can only handle so much. And so an agent might be hesitant to hire that next person to get that person help. And so that's uh, why I think people are struggling a little bit. Well, what I would suggest is to make it easier on the agent, and it actually makes sense for, for the operations person as well, the next person, if the next person is an operations person, should be hired by the admin, not oh, by the agent. Oh, that's a key component. Yeah. And then I would suggest that as you add other people to the team, that the whoever is going to be holding them accountable and leading them ultimately should be doing the hiring. Um, but I, for example, assist in the hiring of our agents. So Terry is the one doing the primary um, uh, recruiting and the interviewing and the you know verification of the disc and all that kind of stuff. But I assist him in doing some of the initial screening. Um, so you can kind of work that as a partnership. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, we won't talk about specifics of what people get paid, but I, I want to help our listeners understand this because what I have learned is that there are two types of people on the planet. There are people who get paid for results, typically salespeople, and people who get paid for time, which is typically your administrative staff people. And I hear agents all the time say, well, I'm going to hire somebody and I'm going to give them a percentage of my sales that close, my commissions, right? Let's just say it's 10% or 20% or whatever that number is. The problem is, is that the person who likes to get paid for time can't handle the inconsistency, right? So that agent closes two deals last month and then doesn't close anything for a couple months and so that admin person isn't getting paid and I've just never seen it work where an administrative gets paid strictly on a percentage of the agent's sales. What are your thoughts on that? 
So, well, number one, paying on, on a percentage might sound really great to you when you're not doing very much business, but as your business grows and scales, that's going to be unscalable. Yes, you're that's exactly to, what I wanted you to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It just it, you're going to put yourself out of business, and you're not going to have enough leverage. Um, you're not going to have enough money to pay for the leverage you need to do the business that you're going to do if you hired the right people to work with you. And um, don't you think many times though the that you're going to have a tough time getting the right people to work for you because if they are somebody who's willing to be paid on results commission, they're going to want they're going to go be you. Well, I, w I might reframe that a little bit. So I totally agree with you that there are two types of people. Those are paid on for time and those are paid for results. All the people on my team are paid for results, whether they are salespeople or admins. Now that doesn't mean that they're all on commission. Okay, so, so explain example, that. Yeah. My operations person is on salary. Um, she has no they, she has whatever vacation she wants. She can take three months vacation or one week vacation or whatever she wants as long as the job is done and we get the results. Um, so she is on a fixed salary, but we have expectations for what that means she does, which she exceeds by you know a million fold. She's wonderful. Um, we also, um, on the admin side, do bonuses based on profitability. So they're not specific like per transaction bonuses, but it makes the team work better as a whole if you do some kind of profit sharing or bonuses based on profitability. Because it's not how many deals we do, it's how much money we keep at the end of the day that matters to the business. So we all want to be incented for the business to be profitable. So help me understand how you when you say they get paid for results or how you hold them accountable, like how, how do you have a matrix that you follow? Is there, how do you create that that says, okay, I know you got the job done. And so do, am I making sense? I'm not sure I'm making sense here. Are you talking about accountability? Yes. Okay. So we meet, we try to meet on an every other week basis. Um, some of us meet weekly, some of us meet every other week. Um, and we have annual goals, we chunk them down to monthly goals, and then we chunk them down to the top three things of the week that you're going to accomplish. Um, and that's up to the people on the team of what their goals are, whether you're sales in sales or on the operations side. So my operations, my transaction manager may have goals on hers that say, you know, 95% of our um, contracts are going to close on time this year. Um, Ninety percent of our listings are going to be ready 24 hours ahead of time to go in the MLS. Um, I'm going to create an operations manual, etc. Um, the salespeople are probably going to have dollar goals, like I'm going to sell, you know, 24 million. It's going to be this many units with this many, this much commission. And then we just talk for 15 minutes every week. How's it going? Did you have any problems last week? Anything I can help you with? And then it's not like you do an annual review. You don't need to because you're talking every week or every other week. Um, How do you guys do? Accountability is just hiring accountable people, people who want to be accountable, who want to be held accountable. You know, I'm I crave accountability because I know with accountability that I get to my goals faster. So that's the kind of people that I want to hire. 
So I love that because, but how do you necessarily know that? Do you think that's part of a DISC profile? Like how do you know, how would I know in the interview process that somebody really wants to be held accountable or do you think really everyone does? Oh no, everybody doesn't. Most people don't, I think. Right. Um, I think you have to ask really great questions when you're doing the interview and I think you have to ask great questions when you're doing your reference checks. So those are things that come out in the process. Like say for example, um, I like to hire people who were athletes because athletes are successful because they have great coaches. So I know they're coachable. Um, I know they're competitive if they were successful in athletics. Wow. Um, it often will come up in their history. You know, you ask them, do you have mentors? Do you have coaches? Um, people who want to be held accountable have those people in their lives, whether they are, you know, official paid coaches, probably not when you're hiring an admin. Most admins won't say that, but they may say, yeah, I have a mentor. My mentor in my financial world is this, or yeah, I had a mentor at my old job and this is, we would get together for lunch once a week. So it's kind of like being a detective and you have to just ask the questions to find out, you know, what, what are they really like? And then you also want to look for a track record of success. You want to look for you know, maybe they haven't done this particular job, but what have they done in their other worlds? Did they have leadership roles? Um, what did they accomplish? Those are the kinds of things you can ask. You know, I've never heard anybody say that about athletes, and that's so true. I mean, especially right now we're watching the Olympics, you know, like going crazy. And it's it's true is that those people are really good at not only holding um, other uh, themselves accountable, I think in a huge way because like there's a great commercial out right now with Michael Phelps and he says he says it's what you do in the dark have you seen that no but I love ba basically he's saying it's what you're doing when no one's watching you know everyone sees you in the spotlight but they don't see what it took to get there first of all and they don't see what you're doing on a daily basis in the dark that actually is getting you the results that you're seeing I love that. It's, That's one of my yeah, favorite things. Google, Google that um, that commercial because it's a fantastic. It, I think it's by Nike or somebody. It, it's a fantastic yeah. commercial where he talks about that. That's awesome. And that's the stuff that you don't necessarily see. And as agents, we need to have that person really in place because they're going to be operating alone a lot, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And then. The cultural piece of it's really important too is just to make sure that you have people on your team that share your values. Um, because that assistant, I always tell people, and I don't mean to be sacrilegious because I'm a really faithful person, but the what would Jesus do thing, I always say, you know, what would Marguerite do? Right. Like that's what you're you're not training your assistant how to do things. You want to train your assistant how to think like you. So once they think like you, then they'll figure out how to do all the rest of the stuff. Well, that's a key component. And so, okay, so so let's take that back for a moment in teaching someone how to act like you would, right? That comes down to training. And I think that is probably the toughest part is to actually be able to sit down, spend the time to train somebody in the way that you want things done. and. I know I try to explain a lot of times, this is my, this is how I think, this is why I do things the way I do, right? There's a method behind my madness, like my mom used to always say, there's a method behind my madness, there's a reason why I do things. And I, I think that is a valuable piece in training. So 
how do you get the training set up? How do you actually follow through with the training? How do you get that part done? Like, I think all of us in the perfect world would just send them out to your place, let you train them, and send them back, kind of like a puppy, right? Exactly. <laughs> but you know what? Part of the training that's important is the relationship that you're developing during that training. So sending them out and back is great, but it doesn't do everything that you need it. You can leverage a lot of it because the person that you're hiring should be resourceful. Um, an assistant needs to know how to find answers on her own or his own. So there is, you know, send them to your MLS and have them on Boomtown or DocuSign or whatever doing the videos. They're, they're, you would not like to do that as an agent, but an assistant would be totally fine with doing that. Um, in terms of the training, I would say chunk it out and think of it like flying a kite. You know, you let the kite out, it goes out a little ways, you pull it back and then you let it out the next time a little farther and you pull it back and you just keep doing that and set a goal of maybe three months and at the end of the three months that that kite should be flying high but knowing at the beginning that you're going to have to do a little bit of reeling in and teaching and so um, I'm not the most patient person I'm actually I'm one of the behavioral we also use the ABA um, behavioral profile I'm in the top one percent of most impatient people so <laughs> I, totally, I totally get that uh, spend that time. sounds familiar um, but my last hire I actually did chunk out the time and I started with um, half days at the beginning and I chunked it all the way down to we only talked on the phone once a week by the end of the three months and my goal was that she would be fully um, on her own by the end of the three months and she was and it was the first time I actually invested the time up front and it totally paid off and she's been with me for four years and she's beyond amazing I'm so I'm telling you what I'm gonna transcribe this entire audio today and put it <laughs> and read it and like soak it in next to my bed every single night it's it's been really good it's worth the investment. You know, here's the other thing. I think agents think that they have to create all the systems so that they can train the person on how to do the systems, and you don't. You have to do exactly what you just said you did, which is to explain, this is how I do things, these are my standards, this is what I expect, and then let them just shadow you, and then they can create the systems from there, because they're probably going to be better at that than you are anyway. So my favorite saying is inspect what you expect, right? And yeah. so you related it to a kite, and I relate it to anyone who's had children teaching your child how to make the bed, right? You go in and you think, okay, well, I showed them once, and now you're done. Well, that's, you know, you know dang well you're going to go back, and the bed hasn't been made. It hasn't been made. And, well, some people never learn how to make a bed, but... Um, hopefully you find somebody who can figure it out at, at, at some point. you can't see upstairs right now. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the bottom line is is that you have to kind of keep checking and you go back and you're like, okay, not quite that way. Let's do let's you know let's do it a little smoother. let's you know here's where the pillows go. Like you have to keep and I think that a lot of us and I know that I used to make this mistake back in early on in my career is that I would just do it once and I'd forget about it. And then a month would go by, and I'd go back, and I'm like, what are you, you never did it right to begin with, right? Like, what happened there? Like, well, that's the way I thought you told me how to do it. Like, there's all this kind of communication gap, and until you go back and forth sometimes two, three, four, five times, then finally you're like, okay, now we're good. We can move on to the next thing. I think it's good if they can watch you do it and then do it with you and then do it on their own. 
So whatever you're teaching them, whether it's preparing a contract, you know, let them watch you prepare the contract, kind of do it together, and then let them go do a contract and bring it back to you done. So you talk about systems. Do you guys have checklists and stuff that you use? So we do everything, no paper. We don't do anything with paper anymore. Um, it's just not scalable once you get to a certain volume of transactions. Um, and we're too mobile. Right. You know, we, we want to access everything from everywhere. We have systems. They're checklists in the computer. We use Top Producer um, for absolutely everything, whether it's a contract, a listing. Uh, we take a new photo for the team. I've got a checklist that tells me what to do. We hire somebody. I have a checklist. We have an open house. We've got anything you do more than more than once should have a checklist, especially if you only do them once a year. Look at all my notes. Once a year. <laughs> So yeah, we, we live off those uh, off our list. I'm writing so much down. What to do? So so you had all these checklists and and that I'm guessing you have checklists for your training as well, so that when yeah. a new person comes on, depending on what that position is, that helps you get through the training agenda for that new employee, correct? Yeah, so we have something called the 100 days, which is basically three months. Um, and we break it down into 30, 60, and 90 day period, what activities they should be doing, who is in charge of mentoring them through that. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's my contracts manager, sometimes it's my CEO, sometimes it's people in our office. Um, so who, what they have to do in that time period, who they're doing it with, and then what is the milestone that measures um, whether they've accomplished that. So for example, if it's a new agent on the team, they may have to shadow um, a listing presentation. And then their 60 day, they may have to make a listing appointment by 60 days and their 90 days is that they've got the milestones, they've gotten a listing signed. That would just be, you know, an example of that. So good. I've written down so much on this podcast. So, and that everything. would include, we include everything on there from making sure you meet everybody on the team um, and we have them do a vision board and present it to the team so we can learn more about them and what's important to them, um, what their goals are. Um, and then it has things like what videos to watch, what books they need to read, um, do they need to shadow people, do they need to um, you know, learn the contract system, all of our internal lead tracking, all that stuff. It's just all laid out for them. That is amazing. So now I know, Christy, you have been putting some of this together in like training programs. Is any of it available? Have you put stuff like this together that people can buy or get from you or stalk you? No, or? I haven't. I am teaching live. I'm doing a class called 10 Secrets of a Mega EA around the country, and I think I've got three or four more left this year. Um, you can check my website for that. Um, but I, I don't have the products. You know, part of the process of the agent putting it together for the team or the admin putting it together for the team once you hire the admin, it's really important that it be personal yeah. and, you know, completely, you know, with what your team goals are. I know, um, but wouldn't we all like yeah. to have that magic pill I where I could just snap my fingers and you would walk Watch in and it all magically appear? There's a number of Facebook groups that are really great that I have benefited from being in where people share their information. So if you're a mega agent, there's a mega, there, and I don't think, it, it's not just KW, I think it's all agents, mega agents, 
Um, and then there is an admin one as well, executive assistance to mega teams, um, as well as a real estate admin group, which is admins only. So there's a lot of resources out there I think you can reach out to. That, those are awesome. Well, I'm telling you, I, you have to like put this together for people. It's so good. And I know we've talked a little bit about this before, but in the perfect world, even if you could put together a few trainings for this, it'd be pretty amazing for for either both executive assistants and and agents that are building teams because it's becoming more popular. I mean, when I did this 20 years ago, people didn't have assistants. They're like, who do you think you are? You've got an assistant, you know? <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was at the Zillow Summit recently, and they put statistics up, and the teams are growing phenomenally. I forget what the numbers were, but there's like 36% more teams three now than there were three years ago, and the sizes of the teams are growing significantly as well. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. We've been blessed because we have, I'm with Keller Williams, so we have a lot of the models that we can use within our system. Mm -hmm. But they're not Keller Williams models. They're just business models. Exactly. Well, you know what? This has been an amazing conversation, and I just adore you and all that you're doing. And I think I would like to just, like, crawl into your brain for, you know, a little while. Or, like I said, I just need that magic pill. I'll just snap my fingers, and my team will be running smoothly like that. So... Well, next time we talk, I'm sure it will. Hey, you know what? I'm going to be in Virginia September 21st, speaking at the Virginia Association of Realtors uh, meeting on September 21st. Oh, that's awesome. So I'll be in your neck of the woods. Maybe we can, that's I can pop on over and have coffee or uh, pick that your brain a little bit. Awesome. I'd be happy to. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You are fantastic. I've been wanting to interview you for a while, and we did a great interview a little while back, and I jacked up the sound recording, so I'm glad we were able to connect today on this, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Marguerite. My pleasure. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on Real Estate Real World where we talk with masters and leaders in real estate and beyond on how we can raise the bar in our industry. Please subscribe over on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. Your reviews encourage us and help others find our podcast. For show notes and hot topics on what's going on right now in our real estate industry, hop on over to www.realestaterealworld.com and add your name to our email. Thanks again for listening and go out there, be a part of the elite masterclass in raising the bar on the real estate industry.